This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Loving God, grant us ears to hear, minds to understand, and a heart to respond as honours and pleases you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This passage still gets a little uh, resonance with me for the ridiculous reason, but uh, many, many years ago, about 35 years ago, when I was doing some master's exams, I was given a you give it a blank bit of uh, text from anywhere in the New Testament to translate and to do exegesis on. And that passage from Luke happened to be the one I received in Greek, so I still have a particular memory of that moment. We're working our way through Luke's Gospel. And in Luke, uh, as Jesus journeys towards Jerusalem, he prepares those who would follow him as to how to go about life on the way, about discipleship. And so... In this little section of Luke, there are uh, four little passages that have no great rhyme or reason <laughs> as to how they connect together, um, other than the, the general notion of uh, discipleship lessons on the way. Whether they came as a set from Jesus or whether uh, Luke just had some material that he wanted to include at some point. We have a, a warning, we have an instruction, we have a lesson and we have a reminder. And I'm not going to go through each of them uh, in detail, but it's worth noting. The warning is a warning about causing the little ones to stumble. And the little ones are the vulnerable people, those who uh, need guidance, need care. And Jesus gives a stark warning that if, uh, if there is temptation or anything that... Uh, prevents little ones from remaining firm in their faith, that comes as an enormous responsibility and judgment. It is a warning that goes from every day and age and uh, certainly one that uh, churches have had to revisit of those who have been entrusted to our care and the failure to do so. There's also an important instruction and it's one that Jesus gives a number of times in different occasions, the importance of being generous in offering forgiveness. And it isn't just that willingness to release, to let go, to assure people that if they've done the wrong thing, that it won't be held against them um, forever, but that it would be released. And even those circumstances where the contrition maybe doesn't seem to be what it might be. And seven times in one day, people come and say, I'm sorry, I'm still sorry, I'm still sorry, but I've done it again. Jesus said, for our part, to be generous in offering forgiveness because that is how the Father has forgiven us. The final note is a reminder in that passage about slaves who have been working in the field and Jesus asks a series of rhetorical questions assuming the answer is, but of course. Would a slave who's been working in the fields come in and expect to be uh, fed alongside the master? No, they would expect to be continue in their work, to do what is expected of them. And uh, the master says that after I've eaten, then you may eat. 
And it's striking that that is very much the culture of the day that Jesus is speaking into. But the point being, we shouldn't expect to be thanked for doing what is the right thing. As though we deserve some special praise for doing what is right. But I want to focus in particular on the third of those items, a lesson about the mustard seed. It's a nice graphic image. In the centre of this this section, and it uh, does seem to just uh, be there as a a question that they ask from time to time, but it's certainly a question or a a request that the apostles made. Verse 5 says, The apostles said to the Lord, Show us how to increase our faith. It's in that spirit of we believe, help our unbelief. How can we nurture and grow that faith? And in response, Jesus tells the, uh, the very brief um, parable, if you like, or an aphorism around the mustard seed. Now, the focus uh, that Jesus has in mind and the contrast between the mustard seed and the mulberry tree. We actually have a mulberry tree in our back garden in the rectory. And as I was recording the online version of this, it was actually sitting out the window. It's a, uh, very graphic, though they are deciduous, so it's still just beginning to bud. But the mulberry tree was renowned for its strength. Um, they put down one deep taproot, but the other roots are all very much surface roots. And... Uh, as they would continue across, you can see how they have quite a, a, a web of roots that go out, which makes them particularly stubborn when it comes to removing a tree. Um, I'm sure I'm not alone in being some of those who've had a go at trying to remove some trees over times. Some trees and shrubs come out fairly easily. Others can be incredibly persistent, and uh, it is backbreaking work. So when Jesus is pointing to the mulberry tree, the, again, the examples were we all about him as uh, trees renowned for just how resilient they are. And by contrast, Jesus points to the mustard seed and in particular they're saying it comparatively the mustard seed is so small. It's a very graphic image. But the point that Jesus makes is that if it isn't the size of our faith that matters, it is whether it's the real thing. And if it is the real thing, then we should not underestimate just what a difference that seed can make. The last couple of days I've had playing around in my head, I haven't traced it down, that song, um, from little things, from small things, big things grow. Um, I think it's just a folk song or something of that nature. I don't think it's got any particular resonance to it. Um, I know it was played on play school and other things over the years and I didn't trace it down, but the point is the same one. That Jesus says from the smallest of the seeds, it's not the the smallest, but of a uh, comparatively small seed, growth can happen. Now, it's important to make a couple of um, uh, clarifications at this stage because it all too frequently happens when difficulties come into someone's life, whether they be some challenges or some hardships or 
some calamity of some description and people have prayed about it and they've still had to continue to work through whatever those calamities may have been. There are times in which some people may offer the advice that Job's friend, you remember the book of Job in the Old Testament, when he was going through a whole series of calamities, not of his making, he didn't know the, the wider picture at all. And his friends just sat down and looked at him for a week and after a week of just staring at him said, it's probably because you haven't got enough faith. What have you done wrong? And that impulse, sadly, does still continue in spiritual contexts. We can feel as though I haven't prayed enough, I haven't had enough faith. If my faith was bigger, then these things wouldn't have happened. And others might suggest it. And that can be incredibly destructive, even spiritually abusive. In the case of Job, it certainly wasn't the case. And most often in people's lives, it's just the way things are. God never promises us to keep us immune from the challenges of life, the problems, the difficulties of life. We suffer the same hardships as anyone else. If that was the reason to come to faith, then that would be a very poor reason. So this is not saying that if if you have enough faith, you can change everything in terms of the size of our faith. It's rather how genuine that faith is. And the image is a lovely image. If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The point is not so much to say, look, you've got this uh, spectacular magical power that you can turn to, but it is to say, do not underestimate what you have been provided with. And this isn't just an individual, personal type of assurance. It's also true for us as a church. Um, As a bishop, I hear time and again congregations saying to me, you know, if only we had these resources, if we only we had this much extra money, we'd be able to do all these things. And that, I'm sure, is true in its own way. But we do need to realise that across the, the global scale, we have more resources available to us than those who have a literal tree in many parts of Africa and where those gatherings under trees are growing spectacularly. It's not about how much, how, how much we have available to us by way of resources. It's about our willingness to be faithful to what we have been given. a couple of quotes, this one in particular by Pete Grigg, um, who uh, has written a number of books about prayer that um, Fiona and I particularly enjoy. Fiona came across him first of all and has been encouraging others to read his books on prayer. Prayer for Ordinary People, I think it is uh, one of his ones. But he has a book called Dirty Glory, uh, which I must confess I haven't read, but I came across this quote. Pete Grigg says, The point of prayer is not the power that it releases, but the person it reveals, the person being Jesus. I don't pray because I'm into prayer. I pray because I'm into Jesus. And so we talk. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of Jesus. So I ask for his help. A lot. (laughs) It's a great quote, isn't it? And a reminder. And I think that is very much capturing 
what lies behind Jesus' assurance that the faith in that seed, the seed is the power of Jesus himself. There's another great quote I came across. Um, Karl Barth is a German theologian writing in the 1930s, 40s and 50s. Some six million words he wrote in his 12 volumes, Dogmatics. But he's also capable of some wonderful lines. And this is one of the lines that, if not in his dogmatics, but in one of his uh, sayings. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Jesus is saying what we have is powerful. It may not rank in the comparative superpowers and resources that the world boasts of, but actually it is more powerful than any of that. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. I suspect I'm not alone in looking at the news in the last week. It just gets, goes from bad to worse. In a sense of powerlessness and horror and this disbelief as to what is happening and what has been spoken of, where do we start by way of responding? Do not underestimate the power of prayer. That's why I've loved that we have been able to introduce prayer candles. Just those moments that gather together are powerful and our gatherings together in prayer as a congregation are powerful. Paul picks up a very similar theme. Now the readings we have at the moment, uh, we're reading our way through 1 and 2 Timothy, we're up to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as well as reading through Luke and there's no logic behind the way in which they've been brought together in our church lectionary but as so often the case they do actually speak to each other. Paul also talks about the importance of guarding the gospel, guarding all that comes with the gospel but I, um, I like this thing, that's a little phrase I came across. You can try saying it sometimes. Say it into a mirror. Sorry, Wendy, I'll just pull myself back a bit. Say it into a mirror but to yourself during the week, just privately. Well, if you want to say it publicly, that's fine as well. I've got a mustard seed and I'm not afraid to use it. It just talks about the power of the mustard seed in our prayers. It just took my fancy anyway. Paul encourages Timothy, um, and for some strange reason, the letter to Timothy resonates with me. Just saying, always has. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. That is to say, it's not about you, but about what God's presence and God is capable of doing in and through each and every one of us. But fan it into flame so that the oxygen begins to, to uh, bring a, a strength to the flame. And in particular, he talks about what we have been given, what we're provided with. Um, so let me just read it out. It mightn't be quite as clear for reading it off the screen. But God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. What we have available to us in our gospel through Jesus Christ 
the outworking of faith is powerful. Spiritual conflict can often be an assault upon that, sowing seeds of doubt, seeds of questioning, seeds of our unworthiness, our ineffectiveness, comparing ourselves with others. Paul says, guard yourself from that because it is God who is at work within each and every one of us. So as we sit with these passages and sit with that imagery, let's focus on how can we water those mustard seeds? How can we nurture them? How can we put them into practice so that they begin to show that power and that growth that emerges from it? Translating those words into our here and now, both personally in our own lives and as a church, is a work of God, but God will do it. But it does require that attitude of openness and of expectation. It is rather nice as we have the change of seasons that gets flagged by daylight savings. And we begin to see the buds emerging on the various trees, the blossoms emerging, gardens coming to life. That that imagery is no less a spiritual reality and a sense of anticipation amongst us as a church community. I'm encouraged. I hope you are. God is at work. God's wind is blowing through us. The Spirit is at work. And things are beginning to bud to seed, to grow. Amen.